Thank you for downloading this podcast from Emmanuel Church Lurgan. At Emmanuel, our vision is to help rewrite the story of Craigavon, Ireland and the nations with the good news of the Kingdom of God. We hope you enjoy listening to this message. Evening everyone. How's everyone doing? Um, so yeah, we, we are going to just continue. Um, we've, we've been introducing this, this idea, this uh, theme of 166. We've been saying that this hasn't really so much been the theme of our teach on Sunday nights, but it's more the identity we wanted to give to what we do on Sunday nights here with the Emmanuel uh, over the next while. Uh, and the whole thought behind it has been uh, the rationale that there are 168 hours in a week, and on average we spend two of them in church. And so what we wanted to simply ask was, how do we use this time that we have together as the people of God, as we come together, as the church, as the family of God together, to be able to do two things, to participate and to prepare ourselves. So you've already taken part, you've you've cried out, you've raised your voices together in worship and in prayers, we've interceded. We're going to be doing more at the end as well. And even, even with the teach as we do this, the thing that we always want to be asking is how can we train our ears for the Holy Spirit to speak? In, in 1 John chapter 2, I can't remember the verse off the top of my head, but he says this word, so I, I'm about to, to teach in a little while, we're, we're on Sunday nights we're trying to do shorter teach, no more than 25 minutes, um, but w- when John says this, that he recognizes the gift of teaching to the church, but he also says this, that you don't actually need anyone to teach you, for the anointing that is deposited and is placed within you, the Holy Spirit teaches you all things, and so what can sometimes happen? is, do you know that old saying, uh, if you give a man a fish, you feed him for a day. If you teach him how to fish, you feed him for a lifetime. And that's what we wanted to ask, was how do we use our time together to be able to help one another, to train ourselves, to train our ears, to be able to hear and to lean into what the Holy Spirit is saying, because that happens as we practice those things. It's why we did that theme before Christmas, but it's one of those ones we recognize that can just stay as a good teaching series unless we actually do something about it. So we want to commit ourselves just to leave space and time for the Holy Spirit to speak. So um, that's, that's the whole point and the reason behind it. So the whole heart in this is that as we do it, as we come and we participate, as we prepare ourselves, how then do we go out and engage with the remaining 166, 166 hours in the week to engage with the kingdom of heaven? Because the good news that Jesus said was the kingdom of heaven is at hand. <laughs> it's present. So it's not just a future reality that someday we'll step into, but it's present. We can experience it right now in our lives. And that's good news, isn't it? So uh, that's what we want to simply do on these nights. As part of this, so we are going to be teaching, and uh, we started a theme in this on the Sermon on the Mount um, uh, just a few weeks ago. And so we're going to be doing this over the next few weeks up until June, and then we'll probably go on to a new teaching series as part of this as well, and different people will be involved within it. I'm going to simply just keep pressing on with this. Um, not really take any time to, to recap or anything like that. So if you have Bibles with you, uh, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. One of the things that we have been saying and we will be doing at the end of each of the teachers is that we're going to leave space for you to personally reflect on what this actually means to you. It's one thing to hear someone teaching, but that just, it's, it's pointless if you just sit and listen and then go home unchanged. So the reason we've been encouraging people to be bringing journals or something to be writing is we're going to just be leaving space at the end for you to ask God, what are you speaking to me personally? And then to be asking, right, what am I going to do about that? So Matthew, Matthew 5, verse 17, let's start into this tonight. 
three or four verses just, um, and Jesus says these words. So Holy Spirit, would you breathe in this tonight? Come and speak to us. Give us ears to hear what you're saying. Jesus says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter nor the least stroke of a pen will be by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. There we go. One of the first things I thought this week as I started to prepare this was, why didn't I get someone else to teach in this instead of me? It's, it's a deep passage as we go into this, but I was simply just going to pull out a few points at this and, and then again leave space at the end and ask, right, Holy Spirit, what are you speaking to each of us individually? I suppose one of the things just in terms of a reflection, this series and the Sermons on the Mount, we, we recognize that at the start of Matthew chapter 5, Jesus, this is in response to the crowd. We see these words in the first two verses, seeing the crowds, he went up the mountain and when he sat down his disciples came to him and he opened his mouth and taught them this great sermon that spans three chapters five six and seven is in response to the crowd that Jesus saw Jesus he saw the crowd around we recognized in that first night that there's something significantly different about when Jesus sees you this is the God who we're told searches all hearts and minds when Jesus sees you he really sees you and Jesus, as this crowd stood before him, Jesus saw everything that was being presented. He saw the poor. He saw the broken. He saw the needy. He saw those who mourn. He saw the religious people. He saw all the legalists who were standing around him as well. And into this eclectic mix of people and different situations and circumstances that present that Jesus starts to speak. And Jesus teaches the sermon that Tara last week did an amazing teach on and I did a couple of weeks before and we're going to keep pressing into. These are the words that Jesus speaks. And what he declared, this is the first thing just to really say, what he declared was so countercultural to everyone else, to the people who were listening. This was totally fresh. This was totally new, everything that was being said. So on Ignite and Monday night, I was teaching a little about one of the things I love to teach on is about the life of a rabbi and what it actually meant in terms of discipleship and for Jesus being a rabbi. A bit of a geek with all this sort of stuff. But one of the things that we need to recognize is that the culture and the context that Jesus was speaking these into, uh, Jesus was raised in Galilee and Nazareth. And, uh, and the Jewish context, their mindset was... Uh, the culture was pretty much separated into two distinct groups of people. It was based on what was known as a purity system. And the two distinct groups of people were either people who were called pure or people who were known as impure. Generally, this is what it meant to be pure. So people who were clean, righteous, male, rich, Jew, well, healthy, whole. This was a male-dominated society, a patriarchal culture women didn't get a look in. People who were considered impure were unclean, outcast sinners, female poor, Gentile, ill, maimed, diseased. These were the people who were disregarded and counted as secondary in culture. For the religious minds, for the people who were looking on, for the religious teachers of the day, these people were never going to be blessed by the kingdom of God. And In fact, the religious leaders of the day were saying that these people were actually in that position because of some judgment of God upon their lives, because of some sin or something like that. But yet Jesus 
Jesus the Messiah stands up and starts to declare that the kingdom of heaven was for these people. We read about it in the Beatitudes where he comes and he says, blessed are the poor. Blessed are those who mourn, people who are going through grief. Even before he starts his ministry, he stands up in front of the, the, the temple in Jerusalem and he unrolls the scroll of the prophet Isaiah and he reads this prophetic declaration. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me for he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He's anointed me to proclaim good news to everyone on the right-hand side of this table that all of the religious people are saying will not and can never enter or experience the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says, it's here for you. It's good news. It was for each and every person. And this was totally countercultural. And the thing was, for the religious people of the day, this is where we start with this, and this is why Jesus started into what he said here tonight. The religious people of the day, everything that Jesus was saying was complete and utter heresy. They were just like, that's, that's rubbish. That's, that's, that's not right what you're saying. Based on their reading, their understanding, their application of the Torah, how they read the scriptures, this, everything that Jesus was saying was just wrong. It was totally against everything that they believed. You see, what had happened was that they had become so legalistic in their approach and their understanding of scripture that they had boxed God in. There was no movement with this. There was no flexibility. Even when it came to reading the Bible, they were so tightly entrenched in their own ideas and their own parameters. There was no wiggle room. What they did was they read their own understanding of who God was into the Scriptures. They didn't need God to speak afresh. They already knew. Any of you ever do that when you read the Bible? Sometimes how we just read our own thoughts. We come to God with our minds already made up, and sometimes we read our thoughts and our ideas into the Bible, into passages rather than leaving space for the Spirit to breathe afresh upon what it is. And one of the things that Jesus is trying to get at with this is because, I don't know about you, but um, sometimes our understanding of the Bible, but particularly the Old Testament, can sometimes be a bit skew if Sometimes for some Christians, uh, I don't know if this is your thoughts, right, but for some people, they, when they read the Old Testament, they sometimes think to themselves, well, that's just a bit dated. That was for then. We don't need that now because we've got Jesus. We can just forget about all of that. This is, we only need the New Testament. And so for many, many people, loads of, loads of Christians just forget about the Old Testament. They leave it aside. They're like, well, it's not really important. We've got Jesus, so let's focus on the New Testament. But Jesus, this is what our Jesus, right? Our teacher comes to us and says, he comes at the start of this. And in this passage, he's coming of everything that he's saying is this, every part of the Bible from Genesis chapter 1, the whole way through, now obviously they didn't have the New Testament at this stage, but for us, from Genesis chapter 1 right through to Revelations 22, every single bit of the Bible is significant because every single part of the Bible teaches about Him. It points to Him. It points to Jesus. Jesus is coming to say these words. Every single part of it was all about Him. This is what we are so specific and want to focus on, this idea of the God story. Every part of what we read in the Bible is all about Jesus. It's a full story all about him from start to finish and must be read and understood in this way. One of our friends from Canada in 24-7, Adam Cox, says these words. He says, it takes the whole Bible, so we've got to understand the whole Bible. It takes the whole Bible to read any part of the Bible. And this is about God unfolding himself. God would be just generic deity if he wasn't unfolded in history. I love that line at the end. God would be just generic deity if he wasn't unfolded in history. That means he would just be like any other God. 
if he hadn't unfolded himself and revealed himself in history. And that's what he does throughout all the pages of the Bible. That's why we're saying don't miss out on some of the things that we read in the Old Testament. In fact, even the, the apostles, when they preached the gospel and the good news, it just didn't talk about the cross and about how Jesus died for your sins. Peter, when he stood up in front of the crowd on the day of Pentecost, he stands up and he declares the full story of God. He goes right back to the beginning. Every part of this is gospel and is good news. And yet, how we read it today is, again, we can set aside some of the stuff we think is just boring or meaningless part of the Bibles. But yet, every part of it has meaning. And one of the things I just feel for us, I'm not going to labor in this too much. We're going to go on to some other things. One of the things that I feel is really crucial in our understanding is this. We read the start of it differently when we understand the end. When we understand the end you have a better understanding of the beginning. Do you know some of those books that you enjoy reading, and like maybe they're like, they're like thrillers or something like that, whatever it might be, or a movie, and when you know the plot line at the end, suddenly the start looks very different the next time you go back to watch it. Do you, ever, do you ever notice that? And it's the same with the Bible. This is why the God story, this understanding, for us, if we want to go after the deeper things of God, it's so important that we get to know, it's good to know the end of this, to know the, the victory that we have in Jesus. If you're a new believer, if you're, if you're fresh in the faith, it's really important you get grounded in the foundations of faith. That's why we have different things to be able to support and help with that. But don't sidestep your story. This is your story. This is our story that we get to understand. And so every part of this is significant. The reading of the beginning is different in light of the end. And so let's get to know that. It seems to be, though, that the religious leaders of the day, based on either what Jesus was saying or doing in his ministry, they just felt, again, that he was just setting aside scriptures. But here's what Jesus says to them. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. Jesus, this is Jesus' summary of statement saying, do not think that I've come to just do away with the scriptures. I haven't come to do that. The main focus of the scriptures at the time of Jesus were these two things, the law and the prophets. So the law was all about a character called Moses, and the prophets was all about a character called Elijah. Jesus said, I haven't come to do away with it. This is all, I'm all about this. Every part of this points towards me. Every part of this reveals me. In fact, even when we look later on in Matthew's gospel, and do you know that um, the story about the transfiguration? And Jesus, when he's up the Mount of Transfiguration, who's the two characters that are with him? Moses and Elijah, the law and the prophet. Again, Jesus, this is part of his identity and his character. Jesus says, I haven't come to do away with the scriptures. I'm here, or these, I'm here to fulfill it. Don't think I've come to belittle and try to tell you to forget about them, says Jesus. In fact, even the account of the transfiguration again shows us to us. How the Torah was applied though, in the religious leaders of the day was that they were just so legalistic about it. And a desire to ensure that they could remain in a right standing with God. They were just almost used it as an external checking list. So here's one of the things that can so easily happen. You can read the Bible and you can use it as a checklist just to almost please yourself that you're okay with God. That's what they did. Rather than it being an internal posture of the heart and being right in the eyes of God, these leaders just simply wanted to be right in the eyes of people. It wasn't about God. But obviously, there was much talk by the religious people of the day that what Jesus was teaching and how he was leading the people was a complete setting aside. Instead, Jesus comes and makes a significant statement. He says, I haven't come to abolish, but I've come to fulfill. A couple of minutes in this, and then we'll just try to round up. Scott McKnight says this, to fulfill or complete means that history has come to its fulfillment in Jesus himself. That is in his life, death, 
resurrection and exaltation and in his teaching. The Old Testament and the full guidelines in the law and how to be righteous and holy before God. The prophets and all that was spoken about the Messiah. Jesus is declaring that they're revealed in him. You see, when it's fulfilled, we've, we, uh, Grant read a, a verse tonight. And he's, do you know the passage? He said, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. This is what happened. The fullness of time in history, everything in history was moving towards this one point. And Jesus comes and steps into history and fulfills it. This is the significance of Jesus, the Messiah. There were, in terms of the prophets, when we did the Messiah series, over 300 prophecies specifically about the Messiah. And Jesus comes and fulfills every single one of them, stepping into time. He's come, and what we see is that the Torah now, the law, the Old Testament now has a face, and it's Jesus. So the first question just simply just wanted to ask tonight was, how do you read the Bible? What is the significance you place in this? Because I would just love us to have a heart and a hunger for your whole story. This is part of your heritage. When people try to belittle or to take away a part of your story, this is part of your story. When you find and understand the full story of Jesus, this is what you are stepping into. And it's one of the reasons why in Ignite we place such a significance in this. So we spend over three months teaching on the God story in Ignite. Al and the guys do such a great job with this. And I would just love to encourage you that if you, if you have a hunger for this, to really consider doing Ignite come September. When the guys get a chance to do this, taking you through Genesis, through the Revelations, and having a study of this, this is your story. But to fulfill does not mean that from that point on, the law and the prophets were finished and not needed. Hey, William. Jesus shows this by what he goes on to say, and he simply says this. He says, For I truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will be by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. This, th this is massive, right? So Jesus is saying there's nothing about the law that will disappear until everything is accomplished. Let me pray for William, can I? I think he wants some prayers tonight. Stretch out your hands towards him. Hey, why don't you pray at your own prayers for William tonight, can we? Let's just take a minute for him. Father, thank you for your heart of love for this, this mighty man. And thank you for, God, I thank you for the great plans and purposes that you have for his life not to harm him, but to give him a hope and a future. And Jesus, I thank you that that future, even as we're talking about right now, it's finding you. It's all about you, Jesus. And I thank you that William is one who carries your presence. Holy Spirit, thank you that you're with him. Father, we just pray for a fresh outpouring of your grace and your anointing upon William in his life. God, we just pray that he knows your peace in increasing measure. And God, we thank you for all that you demonstrate through him to us. Thank you for your love alive in him. And God, I just pray your blessing upon him the rest of this night and the rest of this week. God, in the rest of this 166, Holy Spirit, may he hear your whispers to him. May he hear your leading and your guiding. And we just pray your full blessing upon him. In Jesus' name. Amen. It's all right. Good, good. 
So Jesus says this, I haven't come to do away with the law. He says, in fact, there's not a bit of this that is going to disappear. He's going for communion already. There we go. Good on you, William. Jesus, however, is not coming to be like one of the rabbis or religious leaders of the day. What Jesus had come to do was Jesus had come to just bring a fresh way of being able to live this out. I love what Jesus goes on to say in Matthew 11. You know these well-known words. He says this, come to me. All you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke. Listen, that word yoke was the rabbi's interpretation of the law, right? So Jesus says he hasn't come to do away with the law, but he's saying this, my interpretation, take my interpretation of the law upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke, there's again, for my interpretation, the way that I read the law is easy, my burden is light. Again, completely different to the rabbis around him. This, uh, this was to those listening. This was the amazing thing. To everyone who was listening, remember, this is the crowd up the mountain. To the people on that right-hand side of the table, the ones who the religious leaders said, none of this is for you. Suddenly, there was like this huge weight being lifted off their shoulders. What Jesus was going against here, he was going against the religious spirit. He was not going to stand up for it at all. The religious spirit that had come against these people and said that you can never experience anything of the kingdom of heaven. What Jesus was teaching his disciples to do, and it's so important that we practice this in our lives when the religious spirit comes against us, that we go back against it. Because what Jesus was teaching his disciples to do was to bind and loose. He was binding the work of the enemy here and the work of the religious spirit, and he was having none of it, and he was speaking against it. Now he declares that the kingdom of heaven is here for all people, for each and every person to be able to experience. And he's saying that this is all about now. There's a new way of being able to experience it. It's one of those things that Jesus in his ministry faces up to more than ever. So if we're going to be disciples of Jesus... If we're going to be those who try to live like Jesus lived, we will never, ever, ever st stand uh, and allow the religious spirit to come against us. Hear this. When the religious spirit starts to whisper in your lives, it's because it wants to dampen, it wants to quench anything of the kingdom of heaven coming alive within you. That's why we're saying, how can you turn your ears to the Holy Spirit and turn them away from what the enemy is trying to whisper and trying to speak lies over your life? When the religious spirit is coming against you, it's to steal it's to destroy what the Holy Spirit is trying to do. So what we need to do is we need to bind it. We need to come against, but we need to start speaking and declaring truth. How good are you at declaring truth over your own life? Sometimes we just stay silent and we allow that negative voice to come against us and just that's the only voice that's heard. You need to start loosening truth over your own life. So when the enemy says, well, it's not really for you, the kingdom's not for you, God doesn't really like you, it's rubbish. We bind it, we come against it, and we declare the love of God. And this is the beautiful thing. You know Eugene Peterson's translation to this. Are you tired, worn out, burned out in religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and yet lightly. And Jesus, as we go on to see over the next few Sundays, it seems to be that Jesus, though, he goes even further. Yeah, so in this, Jesus is saying, come and live, or learn to live lightly. But yet Jesus, as we'll see next week, when it comes to anger, when it comes to lust, it seems to be that Jesus just takes it up another level. So it's not like as if he takes his foot off the gas and says, right, let's, let me try and show you an easier way to get, get around this. 
it seems like it goes up another level. Jesus was coming and was bringing a fresh interpretation of this. So when he teaches on murder, when he says that command, thou shalt not kill, he says, listen, even if you're angry, you've already broken that commandment. With the commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery, he says, even if you look at a woman with lustful intent, you've broken it. And what Jesus was saying, listen, it's not about what you do or don't do in an external matter that is the ultimate thing that means that you're right or in a wrong standing before God. It's what's going on in your heart is the most significant thing. So what's going on inside of here? This is what the prophet Jeremiah declared. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. God is more interested about what's actually going on inside of here. You see, what can actually happen? Do you know this? Sometimes you can do the wrong thing, but with the right intentions. And sometimes you can do the right thing, but with the wrong intentions. And God's the one that sees your heart. And so in terms of pleasing God, it's not about doing the right things for other people to see but it's about checking and recognizing your motives of your heart. We're going to do that later around communion. Jesus, later in Matthew 15, speaks about these religious people, and he says, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. Jesus called the crowd to him and said, listen and understand. What goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of the mouth, that is what defiles them. Then the disciples came to him and asked disciples are silly. He said, do, do you not know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard you say this? Jesus, Jesus wasn't there whether they were offended or not. He replied, every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. Leave them. They are blind guides. If the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. Peter said, explain the parable to us. <laughs> Jesus said, are you still so dull? Jesus asked them, don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and these defile them. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a, perp a person. But eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. You see, there was loads of laws. I'm not going to take time in this. I had it all down. There was loads of laws, like even food laws, like things you should and shouldn't eat. And the Jews, the children of Israel, they were religious about following it. And many of us as Christians have probably eaten some of the things that according to the Old Testament you can't eat. But these things were all pointing towards something. These things spoke about the purity of God, but spoke about something greater that was coming. And so while these things taught you about externally how to try to be pure, Jesus came and fulfilled it. He is the one that only can make you pure. He's the only one that can make you right before God. And listen, tonight Grant has been praying, leading us in this for, for people to be saved. I just feel that tonight, if there's some people in the room who you have been striving, you have been striving to just do this in your own strength. It's almost like you've been trying to be good in your own way. Listen, we need to just leave that aside and to start depending on the goodness of God. He's the only one that can make us pure in this. And there are many of you who have been beating yourselves up and condemned by failing with different things in your life. There's an understanding and a spirit of grace that's being released. And you need to start to learn these unforced rhythms of grace. That's why Jesus says, come and walk with me. Take my yoke upon you. Learn these unforced rhythms of grace. Let's journey together. The good thing Phil talked about this this morning. We're all on a journey, aren't we? 
none of us, none of us are the finished deal. We're all on a journey. We're all on a journey of grace. And this is where Jesus steps in and his understanding. I have loads more other things to say, but I'm going to just leave them for now. One other thing I just did want to finish with, I'll simply say this, is this word righteousness. Jesus says this at the very end. He says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees or scribes, you cannot see the kingdom of heaven. So this is the bit at the very end. After all this other stuff where Jesus seems to be is being nice to the people who are sitting around, suddenly everyone sits up and starts to think, what on earth does this mean? So to the Pharisees and scribes, Jesus is saying to them, your righteousness isn't good enough. And everyone else, he's saying, unless your righteousness is better than these guys who judge you for not being righteous enough, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. And everyone's sitting scratching their heads and thinking, how on earth do we do this? And the beautiful thing, and this is for all of us tonight, and this is what we're going to be looking at, there's a difference between self-righteousness and Christ-righteousness. I love this verse. You've heard me mention it many times. Isaiah 61, verse 10. I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has covered me with a robe of righteousness. There's a righteousness of Jesus for us tonight and for you in your life. There's a righteousness that God has for you that means that you can stand before him as a son and a daughter of God. But here's the thing, and this is the challenge I just want to leave with us tonight, and then we're going to just leave space for the Spirit to speak. Sometimes, because we have received this as a free gift, we don't recognize that there's a cost for us with it. While the righteousness is all about Jesus and not about anything that we can add to it, Having the righteousness of Christ upon us means that we have to start living rightly before God. It seems to be that in the church in the West, this word righteousness just gets dampened and just kicked underfoot. It's like we feel that because we have the grace of God, we can just live whatever way we want. And yet what Jesus is calling us to, this is why he's saying there's not one bit of the law that's being set aside. We've got to try and live into these things. But here's the thing is that we recognize is that we'll never in our own strength make it. But because we have Jesus, we have everything that we need. The Old Testament, this is what he's saying. And this the Old Testament, the Torah, it points towards him. The prophecies, they point towards him. The Old Testament, the prophecies were fulfilled by him. And everything about Jesus that this points towards is the very one that means that we can be, have the righteousness of God alive within us. And I just feel that tonight, this is the good news of the gospel for each and every one of us, for saved and unsaved alike, for the people in the room who still might be striving in our own strength. This is good news, isn't it? And this is what he's come to release for us. And I just feel that this is something that brings a joy. So it's great we get to worship. Do you know what? Sometimes, sometimes it just feels for us that there's a reason why we want to jump up and down. This is the gospel. This is the good. This is what Jesus is saying in these few verses. This Torah, this, the prophecy, everything about every bit of this is the good news of the gospel, the good news of God being released and declared for our lives. And that gives us a, song, a reason for a song to be released, for joy to be evident. There should be a joy in our lives. The joy of the Lord should be our strength, shouldn't it? Not our own strength with this. What I would love to do is, there are my ramblings in this. But I would just love for the Holy Spirit to speak to us individually. This is the thing that I'm loving about these nights, if I'm being honest. I feel that I can just teach a little bit and then get out of the way and allow the Holy Spirit to speak. And I just want us to do this. You know, we've been doing this um, over the last couple of weeks. But um, I would love you just to get comfortable, just a space in your room. If you have a journal and you want to write in this, 
uh, for this bit, you can. You can do that yourself. But two questions we're simply going to ask. And then what we're going to do is we're going to just spend some time around the table tonight. I'm going to lead you around that as well, just as we come to reflect. The first question I just want to ask again, just we do these every week, is ask God, what are you speaking and saying to me specifically? Tonight, listen, there could be something just around your, the way that you engage with the Word, how you've, you've ignored parts of the Word, and this is your story. You just realize you want to pick that up. It could be something just around maybe feeling guilt that just actually isn't there. It might be an area of your life that you just realize actually you're not living righteously before God. It might be something that the Holy Spirit wants to pinpoint. So we're asking tonight, what is God saying to me? And then we're going to ask later on, what am I going to do? But let's take a moment just in stillness and silence, and let's allow the Holy Spirit to speak. So Spirit, give us ears to hear what you're saying tonight. We thank you for the word. Jesus, thank you that this is all about you. It's all been fulfilled in you. It all points to you. I thank you that we come alive in you, Jesus. Thank you for your righteousness upon us tonight. And Holy Spirit, speak to us right now, we pray. So Spirit, what are you saying to us? This might not actually be anything to do with what I've spoken about tonight, but in this moment of stillness, because not many of us take moments to do this, the Holy Spirit is pinpointing things specifically to you. So allow him to speak. Now just allow yourself just to start to reflect on this. So the second question we always ask is, what, are, what am I going to do about it? Personally respond to this. If you sense the Holy Spirit saying something to you specifically about an area in your life, practically respond how you feel you're going to step it out this week. Thank you, Holy Spirit. 
What I would love us to do now, just as the, the band are going to come and they're going to just play quietly in the background, I would love us just at this point, we're going we're to break bread together. But the Bible says this, that before we come to remember the Lord, tonight I just thought we would remember just to celebrate his righteousness. <laughs> For those of us that are believers in the room, it's to celebrate his righteousness. That's the reason why we get to be part of this and to do this. I know we've done it this morning already. For some people, this is twice in one day, but that's all right. Um, we're just going to just remember this. But the Bible says that before we do this, let a man examine himself. And what I would love, I'm not going to lead this. I'm just going to put these points up on the screen. So the verse we always pray for this one is search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. You know the steps that we would do when we're examining our hearts. We, we always encourage people to do this at the end of, end of a day. I would just love, I'm going to put these in the screen. I'm going to just allow you just to do this in your own time. And then when you've done it, I'm just going to ask you to come and to, to get some, some communion. There's a little bit of cracker. There's a cup of juice. And you can bring it back to your seat. And we're going to remember the Lord. But simply these steps, so just between you and the Lord, just in this moment of recentering. So invite the Holy Spirit. And then review your, even the last couple of days, review the last couple of days, allow the narrative of the last couple of days to start playing over in your mind and rejoice. So give thanks for some of the, the good times that you've had the last couple of days. But in this area of repent, so tonight when we're talking about living into the righteousness of God, if there's something that the Holy Spirit wants to pinpoint, it could be small, it could be big, but if there's something that you just recognize, you haven't fully followed Jesus in that area of your life, why don't you bring it before him tonight? Because that's why we've, we delight in his grace. <laughs> it means as we bring it before him, it means that it's dealt with. Uh, and at that, just in, in a heart of resolve, why don't you bring it before him, just resolve just about how you want to just live out that area in your life this week. When we've done it, let's do these five steps just on your own. I'm finished at this point. And then when you're ready, when you've been through this, uh, why don't you come uh, and just get some communion and then off the back of it, when everyone, most people are through, the guys will start leading us in worship. So Holy Spirit, just even as we finish tonight, we just invite you again. Thank you for the table. Thank you for the practice of communion, Jesus. And yet we realize that we have a responsibility in this. And so we just want to examine our hearts right now. Search us, oh God. See if there's any offensive ways within us. Speak, Holy Spirit, we pray. Just take your time to go through these steps and then when you're ready, you can come. We hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast. For more information about our church and all that we do, please visit our website at emmanuel-church.co.uk.